This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. Building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. When Jesus went to the cross, he became man's substitute. And please understand that Jesus was not our substitute until he did go to the cross. His earthly life, his earthly ministry, show him to be an example for a righteous man operating in the earth, a man untainted by sin. It provided a benefit in his own life, and because he was anointed of the Holy Ghost to minister, it provided a benefit for everybody that came in contact with it. In the early chapters of John, I think it's John chapter 2, where Jesus goes to the wedding feast at Cana, his mother knows something about Jesus either being able to do the supernatural or supernatural things happen about him. Because when she finds out that the wine is gone, she comes to Jesus and Jesus tries to put her away. She says, Jesus, we're out of wine. Now, according to Jewish tradition, she must have been at a relative's, this wedding must have been a relative of Jesus and Mary and or Mary, or else she wouldn't have had the position that she did have. That was all family business, family activity and so forth. So when she comes to Jesus, and says, we're out of wine. Jesus says, woman, what do I have to do with thee? My hour has not yet come. Then she turns to the servants and says, whatever he tells you to do, do it. Now, folks, you can't make sense out of that reaction unless she's used to Jesus' words producing things. And why wouldn't they? See, we think Jesus grew up as a child first and then a teenager and then comes to the place, never sinned, never committed any wrongdoing. Because there was no presence of sin, there was no experience of sin. He was able to live a, a sinless life, operating in righteousness, even before he was called and anointed to, to minister to the world. Well, what did that produce? Well, what does the Bible say it should produce? The blessing of Abraham includes a lot of good things. And if anybody would have been in line for the blessing of Abraham, it would have been Jesus. Because he was the only person that did or did then or has ever now kept the law without breaking it. And remember, Paul tells us by the Holy Ghost, if you break just one little part of it, you're guilty of the whole law. Jesus never transgressed on any, any point whatsoever major or minor. So what, why wouldn't the blessing of God, why wouldn't what God promised Abraham and the Jews through obedience, why wouldn't that come his way? Why wouldn't that mean that things, circumstances, conditions were changed on Jesus' behalf, even by his words? She associates his words with power or authority. Well, she's had a front row seat to it. So when she responds to the servants at the wedding feast, whatever he tells you to do, do it. 
that shows us even before Jesus was anointed of the Holy Ghost to minister to others, but in his early life that Mary was a witness to. The supernatural was certainly possible. Now, I don't want to paint the wrong picture. I don't want to try to say that Jesus was the richest man on the earth. He was the Bill Gates of his day or whatever else the blessing of Abraham might have made for somebody else. But I can guarantee you he never went without. I can guarantee he and his family never went without. And I can guarantee that any sickness or disease that might have attempted to attack him didn't stick. Otherwise, why would his mother say what she said? I mean, there's a lot of things she could have said. But what she did say has to mean that she's used to unusual things taking place because of what Jesus says and does. Well, apparently God directs him to take action, so he turns the wine into water, or water into wine. Well, I had the two elements right at least. Come on. <laughs> So Jesus becomes our sacrifice and our substitute on the cross. Now, the Bible defines what that sacrifice and substitute would be. We know that the Old Testament ritual of sacrifice, the Day of Atonement sacrifice particularly, was very specifically outlined so that Israel would know what it stood for. We know these things are types and shadows for us. So the Day of Atonement sacrifice means there were two animals Two animals that were brought, both equally without blemish. They had to be examined by the, the high priest, and they were. And then lots were drawn. It was a random choice which one would fulfill what, uh, one of two purposes. One we know of was the sacrifice itself whose blood was offered on the altar. But the other one that we don't seem to pay too much attention to was called the scapegoat. Now, the scapegoat was used to bear away the sins of the people. See, the blood being offered on the altar wasn't sufficient. That would have just been half a sacrifice that was required. It would have put Israel in the same condition as Cain, whose sacrifice and whose offering was rejected by God. So the scapegoat was brought to the high priest, and he laid his hands on the head of this this bull or goat or ram, whatever it was. He laid his hands on, this, on the head of this animal. And he pronounced the curses of sin. Every sin that could be thought of. They had this giant list that had to be memorized by the priesthood. It was a ritual thing. It wasn't just a fly by the seat of your pants type thing. Pray a simple prayer and, and let's go. They pronounced Sin after sin after sin after sin after sin. They worked their way through the whole list for the purpose of placing or transferring the sins of Israel, all the sins that were on the list that had been enumerated and identified, were placed on the head of the scapegoat. And then the scapegoat was taken out into the wilderness for the judgment of God to fall on it out there. Now, it doesn't tell us how the judgment of God fell. It's certainly easy to imagine that wild beasts could have killed it. It's also easy to identify or 
consider that the fire of God fell on it out there just like it did on several other occasions when the priest would offer sacrifice. We don't know. It's not like anybody uh, stayed around to see. The priest just delivered it out into the wilderness, turned it loose in a place that they could not, they would be assured it couldn't make it back to town, and the judgment of God fell. Then, after the scapegoat was dealt with, then the sacrifice was made of the other animal, whose blood, because of the sins having already been placed upon the scapegoat, where the blood of the lamb was considered a worthy sacrifice, and it was placed on the altar. The Bible says Jesus did all these things for us. The Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 9 that Jesus entered into the heavenly holy of holies one time to offer his own blood, just like the priest had to do on the earth. Well, then there has to be a scapegoat activity or a scapegoat part of the sacrifice too. You can't just fulfill one half of the type and think that's going to work. So the scapegoat part was why Jesus had to go into the belly of the earth, the pit of hell, for three days and nights. That's where the judgment of God fell. That's where the judgment of God fell upon him. Psalm 88 which was written by Jonah in the belly of the fish, speaks specifically of different judgments and punishments that would come on the Messiah. And remember, Jesus said in John chapter 3, I think it's verse 17, that the only sign to given unto, my, uh, unto mankind, unto that generation, would be the sign of Jonah. Jesus is identifying Jonah's experience as a type of himself. Now, what was this judgment that fell? What was this punishment that had to be paid? I don't know. I don't think anybody knows. I, I don't see anything in the Scripture that identifies it. But we know that it had to be paid. Why three days and nights? Why? Jesus knew he'd be raised again after the third day. He clearly taught his disciples toward the end of his earthly ministry while he's still being a, an example for us rather than our substitute. He knew that it was going to be three days. Jesus wasn't surprised about anything that he was going to face, any judgment that would fall, or how long it would take. He wasn't surprised by any of that. You remember he got on to the disciples for not believing him after he was raised from the dead. He said, I clearly told you these things. Why weren't you looking for me? I guess the answer to that is it was more than they could comprehend. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says that Jesus was delivered for our offenses and raised again, King James says, for our justification. But the word for means time, not purpose. So literally it's saying, or should say, Jesus was delivered for our offenses and raised again when we were justified. Folks, if Jesus was raised again when we were justified, then that means he had to be made spiritual death. His substitution or his substitutionary work 
had to include being made sin. And that's what 2 Corinthians 5.21 says. God made Jesus, who knew no sin, to be made sin for us or in our place as our substitute, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. If Jesus didn't die spiritually, you can't be made righteous. Join Mike Webb and Foothill Family Church every Sunday night at 6 p.m. for our weekly healing school. Healing school is for those who are in need of being healed from sickness in their body, as well as those who want to strengthen their faith in the area of healing. Jesus said the kingdom of God is as a man speaking the word of God into his heart. You exercising your authority in the name of Jesus by whom you have access into the kingdom of heaven to say that for you, you are free from the influence of sickness and disease. Foothill Family Church is in Orange County at the corner of Bake Parkway and Lake Forest Drive, just minutes off the 5 Freeway. To learn more about how you and your family can connect with Foothill Family Church, simply log on to mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word. If Jesus did not die spiritually, then you and I could not have been made righteous. Now let's think a little further on that. If Jesus died spiritually, if Jesus died spiritually just like Adam and Eve died spiritually in the Garden of Eden, if Jesus died spiritually just like all of mankind dies spiritually when they come to the age of accountability and reject Jesus, then what life raised him up? Couldn't have been his. It couldn't have been his. But Jesus, as our substitute, made a sacrifice that was worthy for all of mankind. Not just Adam's sin, but Cain's sin too. Not just personal sin. We all get that. We all know that we have sinned. And that demands a sacrifice. And we accept the blood of Jesus as certainly having done that. But the original sin had to be paid for too. That which opened the door to spiritual death from the beginning had to be paid for too. And Jesus paid the price. He made a redemption he, he obtained a redemption that makes salvation, righteousness, available for every person on the earth, even himself. Jesus became a worthy sacrifice even for his own redemption. And the Bible tells us that the life of God came back in and, in and upon him loosed him from the bonds of spiritual death, the separation from God, the torments of hell. Loosed him. Jesus said himself that he took the keys of hell and death from Satan, was raised again from the dead, spiritual death, stopped by the tomb to pick up his body, and went into the heavenly holy of holies to offer a sacrifice, an eternal sacrifice of his own blood. Remember when he was on the earth, when he came after his resurrection, he came back to get his body 
he appears to Mary, who's around the tomb. She recognizes who, who he is when he speaks. And then he says, don't touch me, for I have not yet ascended unto my Father and your Father, my God and your God. So the only thing he stopped over for was to pick up his body and tell Mary to tell the disciples that he's alive. This stuff almost seems like a fairy tale in some respects, doesn't it? But it's not. It's reality. It's reality. So Jesus appears to his disciples, breathes on them. The church has begun. The born-again experience takes place. Interestingly enough, the Bible, when it talks about Jesus being the firstborn or first begotten from the dead, there's another scripture that's referred to all the way back into, into one of the Psalms of David, where God says, this day have I begotten thee. This is my son in whom I'm well pleased. This day have I begotten thee. Most people that have heard that verse of scripture think that God's talking about Jesus being born into the earth, but he's not. He's talking about Jesus being raised from the dead. And God said, in relation, in connection with Jesus being raised from the dead, that it was a born-again experience. This day have I begotten thee. The day that he was begotten that God is talking about and the pleasure that Jesus had brought to his father was the pleasure of paying the price as our substitute for the original sin and for personal sins. Jesus was the firstborn, the first begotten from the dead. That means you and I have the same new birth experience that he does. That's why we're joint heirs with Christ. Now, we're not joint heirs because we're equal with him in our work here on the earth. Who could be equal to that? We're not joint heirs with Christ just because we've been made righteous. We're joint heirs with Christ because we've got the same born-again experience that he does. We entered into we entered in, he re-entered in to the family of God by the same new birth experience. He paid the price even for himself. What does that mean? Let me read to you from Ephesians chapter 1. While you're turning there, let me re remind you of what we just read in Romans 5, 17. For since by one man's offense death reigned by one, much more they which receive the abundance of grace and of the gift of righteousness shall reign in life by one. It's saying it's more of a certainty that will reign in life through righteousness than it was that spiritual death was brought upon the earth by Adam's sin. You are more spiritually alive in comparison, and the freedoms that come with that new birth experience is even greater than the bondage of spiritual death that held us. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 15. Paul said, Wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. If God's the Father of glory, what are the sons? glorious that God the God of our Lord Jesus Christ the father of glory may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him the eyes of your understanding or your spirit being enlightened 
that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints and what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named not only in this world but in that which is to come. The Bible says we have the same power residing in us that raised Jesus from spiritual death. Verse 22, and has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church. He's the head where the body. Does the head have more authority than the body does? And it's the same life that the head and the body experience. So it is with us. And has put all things under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him that filleth all in all. Chapter 2. And you hath he quickened. Here where it talks about in the preceding verses that we just read, that Jesus was raised from the dead by the Spirit of God. It says, and he raised us too. Just as Jesus was made alive by the power of God, so were we. And you hath he quickened who were dead in trespasses and sins, wherein in time past, before you were born again, you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, the unsaved, among whom also we all had our conversation, our manner of life, in times past, in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were by nature the children of wrath even as others. Folks, God knows exactly who we were. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, has quickened us together with Christ, by grace are you saved, and has raised us up together that place where he was seated at the right hand of God far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that's named not only in this world but in that which is to come that's where he sets you and has raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ that in the ages to come he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Jesus Christ folks how in the world can we possibly operate in this world and think that we are so worthless and so out of God's favor when the Bible says it'll take God ages to show you how good he is? Now, I'm not sure what eternity is going to be like. I'm not sure what heaven is going to be like in its entirety. But I know for certain that the Bible says it's going to take him ages to show you how good he is. It, he's planned ages set aside a, uh, you know how you have to make time for a vacation if you don't it won't happen God has blocked out ages for you he's blocked out ages to show you how good and loving and kind he is so no matter what we might be tempted to think about ourselves God set aside ages for you. That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward us through Christ Jesus. 
For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. Verse 10. Please notice verse 10. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. Folks, how much sense would it have made for God to create Adam and then Adam come back the next day and say, I don't like how you made me. I didn't want dark hair. I don't like how how I've been made. Now I can might understand it if Adam said, I don't like how you made Eve. (laughs) No, I'm just teasing. Then how foolish is it to think that God didn't make us through the new birth exactly what he wanted us to be? You are his workmanship. When we complain about ourselves, when we compare ourselves with others and other situations, other people, whatever the case might be, when we listen to that junk that the devil brings to us, it's us taking sides with him against how God made us. But when we start taking the works, the influence of the devil and answering it by saying, I don't know what you're complaining about, Mr. Devil, I'm exactly the way God wanted me to be. Then we start entering into some things that really are ours. You are his workmanship. God does not make junk. You can never be junk. Your behavior can never make you junk. Your behavior, even your sin, can never make you anything less than the workmanship of God. It can never rob you of righteousness. It can never bring you into disfavor with your heavenly father. It can never shorten the ages that it's going to take for God to show you how good he is. And that's the absolute righteousness, the perfect redemption that Jesus paid for, for you and me. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, a new creation, a new species of being, something that never existed before. Adam was a man made by God that fell. We are men and women raised up into eternal life by the sacrifice of Jesus. We are a brand new, unique species of being, and we're His workmanship. One of the prayers that Paul prayed for the church as he was inspired by the Holy Ghost to pray was that God would give unto us the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. There's nothing greater than to know who you are in Christ, what belongs to you because of Jesus' sacrifice, and what God's plan and purpose for your life really is. Thanks for watching today. Come visit us at Foothill Family Church. This is Foothill Family Church with Mike Webb. I believe there's a quality of life 
that's available for us. A quality of life, a quality of complete victory over the devil and his works here in the earth that's available to us. Join us Sundays at 9.30 a.m. and 6 p.m. or Wednesdays at 7 p.m. Visit us online at mikeweb.tv. Foothill Family Church, building strong, spirit-filled lives through God's Word.